welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. Vex and I are flying solo as we're not bringing on a guest and we reached out on social media this week because we wanted to hear from you. It's been quite some time since we've done a mailbag episode, so we've got a lot of really good questions off of social media that we are going to answer here tonight. Probably get a little heated, probably laugh a little bit, probably, uh, you know, get confused a little bit. It'll all be good. We'll, We'll have a good time together here tonight. So let's bring on the talent of the podcast right now, Jeffrey Levechkio. Vex, what's up today, my man? What's up, bruh? Having a great day. Had had a great day in the gym. I mean, it's positives and negatives. I have so many guys home right now from college or junior and pro guys still that are starting to leave finally, hoping the NHL starts soon here. But so the atmosphere was electric for this time of year in the gym. So it was a really, really fun day. And uh, believe it or not, yesterday I found all my gear in the garage, dusted it off and skated with the boys. And man, like it's been a while since I've been able to put my gear on and it was so much fun, dude. (laughs) Oh my God. Hockey is fun. I miss (laughs) it. It made me miss it even more though. That's another reason I don't throw my gear on too often anymore, like almost ever. And, uh, man, was it fun? Like just getting out there, chirping the boys, running some hot four checks when, when, you know, guys aren't going that hard and I'm going a thousand miles an hour and just getting the boys amped. It was, it was really, really fun getting out there with them. Yeah, I'm sure that's, uh, yeah. I can see you as the guy that's going in like just hundred miles an hour, just hundred miles an hour. slap shot in the shootout, broke the goalie's glove, puck hit the glove, broke his glove, like literally ripped the, the netting, the webbing thing and still rolled in sellied like it was the first goal I scored in my life. And then got off the ice. It was awesome. Must be nice to have a shot like that. My elite muffin <laughs> won't, uh, won't break any gloves anytime soon, especially since yeah. I haven't been shooting very many pucks lately. So, yeah, well, uh, they always told me you can't score goals from the weight room, and I think I proved that to be incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, hey, before we get over to these questions, uh, f- just awesome feedback from Daryl Belfry's episode uh, from last week. And we were really, really fortunate to get Daryl on to, uh, to talk some hockey. And, uh, for me, he's one of the most innovative minds in the game and, uh, read his book. His book was awesome. If you haven't gotten it yet, I would certainly go get it for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, just so good to have Daryl on the podcast and, uh, just thank you to everybody for all the feedback that you gave from us, because it sounds like a lot of people learned a ton from that one, including us. (laughs) Yeah. I've had so many people reach out to me via text, uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram, just saying like how good it was and asking me, you know, like how cool was it getting to talk to him? And, you know, I just love like people who think outside the box and just attack things that we all kind of, because like, I always talk to one of my guys in the gym, Trent Frederick, and he's always like, we got to like invent something that's like so simple. And it just, no one's thought of it. And I feel like that's like the toilet paper roll. I know I'm going off on a tangent here. Stay with me, Tope <laughs> and listeners. So you think about like toilet paper, all right, we got toilet paper. 
All right. Well, who made the toilet paper holder? That guy's a genius. Like it wasn't like some crazy thing. It just holds the toilet paper roll. I feel like Daryl Belfry is the guy who invented the toilet paper roll holder. And I know that sounds ridiculous as I'm saying it, but it's like he looks at things in such a different way, even though it's something we're all looking at all the time, like his offense his offensive comment, how we teach offense just rolls right into defense. And I was like, Oh my God, that is, we are teaching guys to literally run into the defensive zone coverage. And, and he just, it's something we're all doing all the time. We're all looking at the same problem and he just came out of different perspective and it makes so much sense. Same thing with like coaching in the same drill, different players a little bit differently. A lot of coaches don't think that way. We're all doing this, but like he looked at it from a different perspective and found a way to get guys better. His brain just works on a different level than everyone else's, I think. And that's why it was so cool to talk to him. And anyone who listens to that episode or anyone who reads his book is going to get a ton out of it. Yeah. And I think the gold in it honestly was he's obviously really smart and studies the game and not just studies the game, but studies teaching and motivation and how to get the most out of people and stuff. And uh, it was funny because I was talking to Anthony Noreen the other night, who's the head coach in Tri-City in the USHL. We've had him on the podcast and he worked with Daryl when they were both coaching in Toronto system. And uh, we were just kind of talking about how he has the ability to take all of this information. And I think this is a really, really unique quality for coaches because especially coaches that work really hard, they get so much information because they're working hard. But if you are able to take that information and apply it and get it to players in a way that they can digest it and understand it and actually take it and transfer that into what they're doing. Um, And I think a lot of people got that from the podcast because it is information that we haven't really thought about. But then after he talks about it, it's like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. (laughs) And, And you understand it. And then you can take that and actually apply it to, you know, your own coaching and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I think that's a gift that he has. And I think that's a gift that a lot of really high, high, high level coaches or teachers have is just that ability to take information and present it in a way to their students or players or employees, whatever it may be, where they can take it and use it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we talk about it a lot. Like it's not just what you know as a coach. It's can you get your players to learn that? Can you get them to understand the message? Can you get them to understand the why, the how, the what? It's not just you knowing it. That doesn't mean anything, honestly, if you're a coach. It's can you translate it? And that's where we talk about Adam Nicholas, where he said like what I think is one of the top five most profound things on this podcast that's been said. And it was like all coaches should go to a teaching seminar. She should learn how to teach because, again, it doesn't matter what you know. It's can your players uh, uh, get a grasp on what you're trying to teach them, coach them, whatever. Like how many coaches do you know that go to teaching seminars or talk to teachers and ask them like, hey, what's the best way that people learn? Like I've never heard a coach say that. And it's so smart. And obviously Daryl attacks coaching in that manner. And that's why he's so successful. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks to everybody for all the feedback that you gave to us. Shall we get to uh, some of these questions here? You want to go first? Yeah, I love a good mailbag. Let me uh, let me grab my bag here. (laughs) (laughs) First one in hot from Instagram, my Instagram, Pac-Man Eds. how do you utilize knowledge of team culture when you're transitioning from playing to coaching? I think that's a 
phenomenal question, Toe. So let's hear what you got to say, Big Dog. It is, it is a phenomenal question because I think that is something that we forget as coaches a lot is to put ourselves in the shoes of the players. And I think that um, for me, like, and, and we've talked about this and I always go back to this and I talk about it so much when I do my team building, especially with the higher level teams, like at the college teams and stuff like that, that I do this with is that you are um, not just a teammate when you're at the rink, you are a teammate for 24 seven, especially when you're in college and that's like what you're doing. you right. Like you're eating lunch together and you're going to the rink together. You're going to class together. You're doing homework together. You're eating dinner together, everything. And so I think there's an expectation sometimes in the way that we treat it as coaches is that the guys are kind of like just teammates in hockey at the rink, but they're not. And so I think as coaches fostering and really investing into the personal relationships between the players, I think that is one of the most important jobs that we can do because I go back in my career and I'm sure you can go back in your career. The most successful teams that I've ever been on were the ones that just loved each other. Like we were bought in and we did stuff together away from the rink. And it was just this camaraderie where we were all in it together. And we've both been on teams where it's been the opposite and it's not been like that and it's miserable and it translates to the ice. So I think as coaches, when we talk about team culture, I think we have to remember that a huge part of our job is fostering those personal relationships between players and understanding how important those are, putting the players in situations and, and talking to them and communicating to them how important those things are and, and how important that camaraderie that they build away from the ring can be. I think for me, that's like, and I, it's funny, like I, I do this all, I think I've probably said this on podcast prior to this, but whenever I go and I do my team building with college teams, I always ask them, one of the first things is, raise your hand if you've won a championship. And so typically on a college team, let's say 75% of the players raise their hands and whether it was juniors or youth hockey, whatever it was. Then the next question I ask them is, okay, of all the people who have their hands raised, put your hand or keep your hand up. If that was the closest team you've ever been on and who puts their hand down, literally nobody. <laughs> so there's such a correlation. You can even call it causation between closeness and winning. So when you talk about culture, it's fostering those relationships between the players and, and being very, very mindful of investing into those things and also recruiting the right people to bring into your program that aren't, you know, going to be a cancer that's going to ruin that for everybody as well. Long-winded answer to that question, but I absolutely love that question. No, I mean, I, I think you answered it phenomenally. Like, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for for the guy asking this question is like Tope said, like take yourself out of the situation and think about back to your playing days if you played. Um, because that I mean that's the question, like learn learning to transition that. And I go back to thinking about the teams that had the most success that I played on. And I think about what was the locker room like. And then I think about what was the locker room before practice like? What was the locker room in the weight room? Or what was the team like in the weight room? How much of the team hang out off the ice together? what were video sessions like? Cause you know, there's some coaches who video is all negative. 
There's some where video is negative and positive. There's some where it's all positive and maybe it's too much positive and then that's not showing the things we need to work on. And so like, I just think about all my experiences. I think about what I enjoyed the most as a player, what got the most out of me as a player, what makeup of each team uh, as far as personalities and obviously skill sets were the most successful, had the most fun. And then I try and bring that, those things that I think worked the best for my own personal experience into coaching, into the gym, training my guys. Um, so I think, you know, for the guy who asked this question, just look back, draw back on your personal experiences, maybe even make a list of the, the best teams you played on and then make a list of the characteristics that made that team good. And now make a list, another list of like five or 10 key things that that you want to do with your team this year and keep looking at that list keep it handy put it in your in your home office or in your car so when you're driving to the rink you've got that list of couple things right there and you're like okay i've got to check this off this off and this off tonight because i know this is what i like the most and i think this will help my team's culture i think that's super important constantly reminding yourself of those little details because it's the little details that people will will skip over but as we always talk about on this podcast, it doesn't matter if it's a mental, physical standpoint, it's the little details that wind up making the biggest difference. Yeah, for sure. I think you have to invest as a coach, you have to invest in personal relationships and you have to invest in details, personal relationships and details and like follow through on the details because there's a lot of coaches who talk and say, we're going to be detail oriented, but then at the end of the day, there's not a lot of follow through too. And that's hard. It's hard to follow through on detail (laughs) because you have to be consistent with it every day. Right? So invest in personal relationships, especially, especially the personal relationships within the, within the teammates and the players. Um, and then invest in those details like Vex is talking about. Yeah. And I think to, to add one more little detail that Tove talked about there, like coaches investing in the players, every team that I played on that I loved playing on the most, which always is a team that's winning. I felt like the coach really cared about me as a person and a player. So like, it's so much easier. And this is, I'm saying this to the coaches right now. It's so much easier when a coach is all over you, but you know, he cares about you because every player is not going to have their best shift, their best game, their best practice all the time. Even the best players in the world have off days, off nights, whatever. So like when you know, a coach cares about you through personal relationships to him coming in the locker room and just joking around with the boys and like having fun. And then, you know, Hey, how's your mom and dad, you know, how's school, like really asking you real questions when he comes down on me, I know it's because he wants me to be better and me to help the team more. So like, that's a culture thing from a coaching standpoint that I think a lot of coaches can really, really focus on because the more, I think a coach cares about me, the more I care about them and the more I want to do everything well. And I don't, I don't, you know, get into that. Like, Oh, when a coach yells at you in a game, you know, quote unquote yells, you know what into I mean? Into the what? What was that sound you just made? The, you know, you know, like you see, you know, somebody, you see yelling at a coach yells at a guy. <laughs> no, I know, but you just made just talk. a weird sound. I know. Well, you, well, it's, it's the pouting noise. It's like, you see the mentally weak kids or the mentally weak players coach comes down on them and you just see them just, hunker down and just they go from broad shoulders to just just, <laughs> just there it the is that was the one i was oh, looking for okay <laughs> oh, coach doesn't like me you know so uh coaches do a better job building the relationships and no player will ever feel that way even when you pee slap them love it love it okay shall we move on Hi. great question um okay 
So next question. This one is from Jean Lounsbury, who is a former um, podcast guest on the Hockey Think Tank. So he was episode, I have no idea, but he was on the podcast. Go ahead and give it a listen. And uh, he is also an owner of Gel Sticks, our title sponsor. And lounsbury has been such a great supporter of our podcast. Uh, and he says, Tove! Exclamation point. First time caller, long time listener, which is not true because this is his second time calling. He's been on the podcast. So get it right, Lounsey. COVID has parents and players on the edge about falling behind or missing out. What advice would you give to those who feel that way? And how can you encourage them that there's no such thing as falling behind at young ages? I, I literally was talking to somebody about this earlier today on Instagram. Somebody messaged me and, uh, you just got to constantly remind people that it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Development is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And even though I say that, and even though you say that, and even though we say that all the time, people still go nuts about, you know, ah, little Johnny, he's got to go to the, you know, 12th tournament this year. Cause everyone else in the organization is going. Um, so it's just such a tough answer, but I think, you know, do your homework. Like, Tolf, I'll ask Tolf to share the stat that he shared on this podcast many times about how many NHL players have played in the AHL. And he, you know, he talks about they've been told to ride the bus. Like, do your research. Look at all these stories of guys that have had to go through adversity, that have had to battle. Like, it's almost everyone, right? And, and think about, maybe tell parents, think about your own journey in life or sports or working world or school. When did you wind up learning the most? After some kind of failure. When you fail, you immediately learn something. Like, hopefully, you know, it's a, why did I fall off my bike? Well, I leaned to the left too much. So next time I get on my bike, I shouldn't lean to the left as much. Now you just got better at riding your bike because you quote unquote failed. So you just got to constantly be reminding yourself, be reminding your kids that it's just about win the day. Win the day, and that's all you need to all you need to do. Win today, get better today, and tomorrow will take care of itself. Don't look forward. Earn today, own today, and then move forward. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great advice. The stat you're talking about um, is in this year's NHL season. The AHL comes out with this stat every year. Um, 88.5% of the players that played in the NHL at some point in their professional career spent time in the AHL. So what that basically means is almost nine out of 10 players playing in the best league in the world at some point got cut in their professional careers, which a lot of them hadn't uh, up until that point. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, we talk about it. It's not necessarily the most talented. Yes. You need to have talent. There's no question that get to the highest levels. It's that grit. It's that resilience. It's that ability to be coached and, and look in the mirror when you're sent down instead of pointing fingers and just say, Hey, you know what? It's me. I need to be better. Um, Jeff and I have talked about how we've played with players at, at, lower levels of professional hockey that had no business playing lower levels of professional hockey. But if you ask them why they were playing in lower levels of professional hockey, it was somebody else's fault, not their own. Um, you know, so I, I, I do, I think that it is very cliche, but um, you know, win the day and can control what you can control. And I think the other thing too, is like, there's a lot of people and, and I'll talk to the parents here. Um, also, and not just the kids, like, what are you communicating to your kids about COVID right now? Is it poor me? 
because I know there's a lot of people talking to their kids about, I can't believe we can't play any games right now. And I can't believe we can't get this. And I can't believe we don't do that. And like, it's, it's just like, it, we're, this is so bad and blah, 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 blah. The people who are going to get the edge, honestly, that I think that coming out of COVID, whenever we come out of this, hopefully freaking soon are going to be the, honestly, the kids who have the parents that talk to them about do what you can do right now that's in your control and don't complain and don't let your kids complain or make excuses or feel sorry for themselves. That's my opinion. Um, that's what I talk to my kids about. And it's, it's, it's really interesting for me because this is a, a, a tough question, not in the sense of the answer, but it's a tough question because I coach an 18U team and we've played seven games this year. And a lot of my kids want to play junior hockey. They want to play college hockey. So they feel kind of stuck right now where I need to be playing games and, and I need to be showcasing myself and, and all this kind of stuff. So as coaches, what can we do to provide these kids with a little bit of help to whatever? So I literally spent like the last week doing highlight videos for every single one of my players. Um, just to, just to give them something like, Hey, these are things that you can send out to your teams. And I will talk to the coaches. I will do whatever I can do. So I think as coaches and even as parents, like being, just be in their corner and, and, and do something about it. <laughs> um, so just, it's just like you said, even in the previous question, like showing them that you care, don't let them make excuses. And also this is a time where you can separate yourselves from the people who are the powders. You really can, because there's a lot of people pouting right now. There's a lot of people that feel sorry for themselves. There's a lot of people that think the world's out to get them or the world's against them or whatever. And if you can find a way to have a mindset of, okay, this is where I can separate myself from all of those people and those competition that have the same goals and hopes and dreams that I can. I think that's a fantastic message for any parent to tell their kids. It's a fantastic message for any coach to tell their kids, because at the end of the day, like, let's not kid ourselves. This sucks. Like this sucks. It absolutely sucks. And so what can we do? What kind of mindset can we have? How can we talk and how can we communicate with our kids where it's okay, this is a temporary setback everything good comes from adversity and resilience. And let's just, let's focus on those things. I absolutely love everything you just said. But also I, I, I do do think there is a piece of that too, where there's going to be times again, like for kids where they've had enough, they've had enough. And I think there are going to be times where as a coach or as a parent, sometimes we have to let them be sad, <laughs> you know, yeah. let them, let them yeah. cry on your shoulder or put your arm around them. And, and that's the art of coaching, the art of parenting. It's, it's knowing your kid and knowing when to say, Hey, I, Hey man, I get it. I get it. This is tough right now. But then after that, all right, what are we going to do about it? Like, let's go kind of thing. Right. Let's go grab an ice cream, cry on my shoulder. Let's watch a Christmas movie. Let's laugh a little and then we'll get better tomorrow. Like that kind of, it's like when you show up to practice after you've lost five in a row and maybe after the first three or four, the sky was falling and everybody's losing their minds. You come to the practice after that fifth loss, you're like, Oh God, we're going to get back. This is going to be terrible. And you have a fun day. Like the coach makes it a completely fun day. And then what happens the next game, you wind up winning. Like it's, it's kind of that same, same idea. But I, I love that you were just saying like, you know, from this standpoint, parents, coaches control the narrative, like let force them to find a way to get better because what's the alternative sit and sulk. Like that's not going to help anyone. So 
you know, push forward and just say whenever things go back to normal, I don't even like saying go back to normal, but you know, whenever you are playing games again, you will be ready. And guess what? There's going to be tons of guys and girls who will not be ready. So how sweet is it going to be when you can show off all of your dedication and hard work and it all pays off on those first couple of games? Yep. There you go. Awesome. Good stuff. Awesome. Great question, Lonzi. Yeah. All right. What do you got next? All right. Let's see. All right. Hockey boy, 14 absolute stud. Love this guy from Instagram. What age should you make the jump to triple a? Do you feel it can hurt a child under 12? Great question. And I don't think there's a right answer <laughs> because I think it's different for, for everybody. Um, and, and we've said this all the time. Look, we'll call a spade a spade here. When you can play with players in practice that are going to challenge you, you're going to get better, right? It's, it's going to, you're going to have to raise your level. So there is some merit to play in AAA. I'm not talking about at seven, eight, nine years old, <laughs> but when you're playing with and against players that are going to challenge you on a consistent basis, that is, that's a good thing. Um, I think coaching trumps everything though. Coaching and opportunity to play, I think are the two things. Whenever people ask me what team I should play for, it's who's the coach and is my kid going to play or are they going to sit on the bench? Because <laughs> it doesn't matter how good the practices are. If you're not playing in the games, that's just a shot to the confidence and you're not going to get much better. So when to make the jump to AAA, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough question to answer in a blanket statement, because I think it's, it's different for each kid. It's different for who's the coach at that level. Um, but I, I will say to play and challenge yourself against kids that are better than you and the better kids, that's going to make your kid better. Um, but who's the coach and are they going to have an opportunity to play and get better in games? Yeah, I, I totally agree. This is very, uh, very situational, and this is one that we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast. If you're going to be the 12th forward on AAA, but you would be, you know, most likely a top top line player on Central States or AA, and you're 10, 11, 12, I mean, maybe even 13, maybe even 14. If the coaches are pretty equal at both levels, maybe it's better that year for you to be the the, the first line guy versus the the 12th forward um you know again that goes against that goes into who's on the central states or double a team are they good enough to challenge you to get better in practice or are you somebody who's not very offensive as a forward so now you're going to play a ton of power play so now you can work on that skill set uh i think that there's no right answer there's no wrong answer i think whatever decision that you make to play triple a or or if you're playing double a just again like it always comes back to, to you, your journey, uh, uh, working hard, having fun and win each day. Cause there's tons of kids on AAA that are just there because they're like good enough at that age. And they're not really working their bags off and, and getting better and watching hockey and doing all these things. And then there's tons of players on AA who are so hungry to make it to AAA next year because they got screwed, they think. So they're working overtime and they're studying and they're going to be the ones who are going to get better. It doesn't really matter where you're at in those two spectrums. If you're winning the day and every day you're getting better, you're going in the right direction. Um, so, you know, I think all those things combined, coaching, who's on the team to make you better in practice, what is your role supposed to be on the team about, obviously that will change with how you play, but, um, you know, I think it's not what happens to you. It's how you react to everything. That's going to 
wind up, you know, deciding on your fate. So whether it's double A AA or triple A, make the best of it, get better, and then make whatever team you want to make the next year. Love it. Love it. I think that's good right there. Shall we move on? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move on. Okay. Uh, next question is from James Weiss. And his question is, Topher, what, what have you learned in your first season running a youth program? And Jeff, what have you learned from running a strength and conditioning remotely for a few teams? So I'll let you start first. By the way, spoke to Anthony Noreen uh, last night, Tri-City coach, loves your program. So awesome job. Oh, awesome. Well, first of all, Noreen, beautiful man, beautiful coach, great man. What's up? Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really fun. Um, you know, I've, I, my, there were a couple of years in Europe where the team, when I would get over there, would realize, you know, I, I knew what I was talking about with strength and conditioning, having my own business and work with high level guys. And they would just wind up having me write the workouts for, for the teams. So that was pretty cool. Wasn't getting any extra paycheck now that I think about it, but you know, I was happy to do it. Um, so this is my first year, obviously doing it remotely with tri city. And I did it for Timmins rock a bit. And then for Boston junior Rangers. And, um, I love it. It's, it's, it's really not that any different. I mean, than than writing it for, for a team in person, other than I'm not there. Luckily, the way that I shot all of my videos for my training online, I said, I want to do them differently than everyone else is doing them. I want to coach and demonstrate every exercise. So, because if I'm training people online, I want to make it so they have no questions for every exercise. That's the hard thing. When Tof and I were playing teams, colleges, NHL teams, uh, 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 junior teams, they would send you a PDF and this is still going on. And I think that just doesn't make any sense because everyone doesn't know every exercise. So you send someone a PDF and then they got to like print it out and they got to write it down. Then you're giving them YouTube links, which is what I used to do before I had this train heroic app that I work with now. Um, that's a bunch of extra steps. So I was like, I want to make it super clean, super easy. It's all in one spot. They go to the same spot for the videos to type in their weights used, um, for the directions, everything. Um, so my goal with training online was just take out all the excuses, take out all the questions and try and have everything for them there for every workout. And then basically what I just do is I talk to, uh, I talk to their, their athletic trainer every Sunday night and I ask them, what's your week look like? How the boys doing? Are the workouts, you know, are they, are they getting enough? Do they need more? Uh, do they need less? What do you think they need more of? Did you get any new equipment? And then I write the workouts based off of what I know their energy demands to be from playing and uh, just write in-season workouts. In-season workouts are a lot easier than off-season workouts. They're pretty cut and dry. You just need to focus on mobility, um, prehab strength for the most part, keep that up. They're getting everything else on the ice, but it's been a really, really cool journey. And, uh, I'm very, very, very lucky and honored to work with the junior teams that I do. Worked your ass off on it too. That must've been pretty fruitful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know that, that this was even going to come out of it. It's just, you know, it's kind of like, what we, it's literally kind of like what we were just talking about with, uh, with Lounsbury's question and parents asking it's a tough time, you know, all this stuff. It's like, well, I just made all this stuff because I knew it would help one person and it wound up helping a bunch of people. So me just putting in the work wound up paying off. So it's kind of the same thing with that question with Lounsey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So what have I learned in my first season running a youth program? Oh boy. How much time, <laughs> <laughs> how much time we got? Oh my goodness. Um, 
you know what? I was thinking about this question because I, I have a, a million answers for this question because it's been, oh God, has it been a learning experience to say the least? Some good, some not so good, just, you know, trying to figure it all out. Um, for me, I, I think one of the things that's been really important for me to learn as a people pleaser is you can't please everybody. Every decision that you make as a hockey director, some people are going to agree with you and like it, and there are going to be other people that don't. And I think that's something that I've just come to grips that I'm just going to have to understand <laughs> and, uh, and know because um, like even, even with COVID, right? Like you can maybe cancel a game on the weekend because somebody got it or something happened or maybe um, whatever. You have some of the parents on your team that are like, thank you. We really didn't feel comfortable going. Um, we don't feel comfortable with what's going on right now. Like we feel like we should be pulling back. And then you have another set of parents that are like, what is going on? We need to be playing games right now. Like, let's go. I don't care. Like, I don't agree with COVID or whatever's going on. <laughs> um, so I think as a hockey director, I just think knowing that you can't please everybody with every decision that you're going to make. And there's going to be people that disagree with you. I just think that that is um, that's one thing that I've learned. Um, another thing that I've learned too, I, and I, I'd be interested to hear what your take is on this, but you know, like I've been really kind of struggling and going back and forth with, we talk on this podcast a lot about the, the merits of the community based quote unquote model and how it's a marathon and it's not a sprint and how, you know, we just, we wish people would kind of take a step back I'm understanding that, especially at the AAA level, I really don't think that's what a lot of people want. <laughs> um, I think it's, and I call it the machine, you know, I call it the machine and it, there's, there's just FOMO and just people want to push it and push it and push it, which I think in some regards and in some sense, uh, in some senses is, is a good thing because it, it pushes you to be better as a coach. It pushes you to be better as a hockey director. Um, but at the same time, like it's, it's become so crazy that that's one of the things that I've been kind of rattling around with my head a lot is like, okay, how can we push it without losing our principles of what's important for long-term athlete development and what's, what's good for, for kids and families. And so I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going through their heads right now, like coaches and hockey directors that are like nodding their head. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, what do you, I don't know. What do you think? you talked to a lot of parents. you talked to a lot of kids. Um, what do you think? I, I know what you're talking about hundred percent. And I feel like, uh, even in my gym, I've been thinking about this, that pre COVID every day I was focusing, I'm talking about, and I'm focusing on things that will help them in hockey. But I know that there's things that are life lessons that they need to be focusing on. So I make them focus on them in the gym because I know that's what will make them successful in hockey, but I also know that will make them successful in life. It'll make them a good person, a good family member and all that stuff. And I've definitely, uh, just with COVID and everyone's emotions and so many guys come in and mentally they're, they're in bad places. You know, everybody's different on different days where, you know, it's kind of like I'm putting out fires left and right. I feel like I kind of got, I've kind of gotten away from that, focusing on that and just trying to like 
make the workouts good and fun. And it's very similar to, it's very similar to what's happening in hockey at the AAA level, but not with workouts good and fun with people just being like, we got to get to the next level. And then you forget about like all these morality and all these things that, you know, hockey has taught us so for so long and been such a reason why hockey people I think are the best people in the world. And I don't know, we just need to find a way to, to make those core values, like a big pillar to every organization, to every team um, in the car rides. Parents need to be talking about that, not upset that your kid didn't get ice time, not upset that, you know, your kid didn't score, not upset, upset at them for not playing well or whatever, like get back to the reason you put them in the sport. And I think if we focus on all of that stuff, I think the craziness will very slowly, maybe hopefully start to subside um, if we get back to really focusing on that versus win at all costs and, and these kind of things that have been kind of going on the last 10, 15 years. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, know. it's, it's an interesting dichotomy between the two and you know, there's, you, you can talk to people about this and you can talk to some people that are like, we wish we was back in the seventies where it was, you played for your town up until you were 18 and that's the way that it should be. And, and yada, 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 um, which there's merit to that. That's not reality of today. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, it's not. And so again, it's, it's how, and I would, I would encourage and I would challenge all of the coaches and the hockey directors out there. How do you stay true to your core principles um, of what you believe in all the things that you were just talking about with also understanding there's a reality to the business and professionalism of what AAA hockey is. And AAA hockey is great. Like we played AAA hockey growing up. I credit a lot of my success to playing a lot of games and to being pushed and it being a little bit crazy. And I think about some of the things that my parents did and like thinking about it now, I'm like, man, that was nuts. Like you were a crazy hockey dad <laughs> at, at certain times, you know? Um, so there, there's, you know, it's finding a way to, to stay true to the core principles that you believe in, in the reality that we're living in today. And sometimes that can be hard. And, and sometimes it makes my stomach a little queasy thinking about it. Um, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's finding that balance and, and doing what you feel is in the best interest of the kids. I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, it's, it's so hard, man. It, it, it's very hard. And I get it. Like everyone wants the best for their kids and they want to go play with the best players for the best coach. And that might mean moving away. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard. It really is. It really, like, I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know how to answer that one other than just focus on core values and morality, being a good person. And then, and also there's a lot of times where there's not a right or a wrong answer. You yeah. Know? yeah. And I've even said this, like I've been very fortunate in my career where I did not have to leave home until I went to college. Like I played junior hockey while living under the roof of my parents, which is like a unicorn, like that never happens. But I attribute a lot of my success to the support group that I had with my parents and my friends from high school and stuff like that as well. There's other people that moved away at 14 years old or 15 years old that have had 
unbelievable experiences moving away at 14 or 15 years old. And they credit a lot of their maturation and growing up by let's call it the quote unquote craziness of moving away at a younger age, you know? So I, I think I used to be very much black and white with this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, the, the question is, what have I learned is, is I've learned there's a little bit more gray to it and you got to take every situation a little bit differently both from an individual family standpoint, but also from like an organization standpoint, who you want to be as an organization and stuff like that. And uh, that's something that I really, really kind of, it was good learning experience for me anyway. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I moved in with you guys when I was 15, about to turn 16 um, because the AAA teams here split into three different one, my one AAA team, which was like the best team to come out of St. Louis in forever uh, we had a ton of talent for St. Louis back then, uh, split into three different teams. So, I, I, and we had no working out or anything like that. And Topes, like I've talked about on the podcast, the chill up in Chicago had all that. Um, and I could go live with my aunt and uncle. So my parents didn't want me to leave my sophomore year of high school, but we all decided it was what was best for me. And it was very hard, but I was a pretty immature kid, uh, uh, you know, like, not like in a bad way, just like a, you know, a goofball. And that made me had to, to grow up quite a bit and mature quite a bit. And, you know, that's where a lot of positives came out of that for me. So it was a really good thing for me. It's like you said, there's no, it's not black and white. It's a very gray area and it goes back to, you know, make the best decision for yourself and then make it work for you no matter what. Yep. For sure. I don't know. All right. Good stuff. Great question, James. Uh, what do you got next? Let's see here. Uh, what is your favorite thing about doing the podcast? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I saw that question. I was going, you, you got it? You want to go first? I'll do it first here just because for me, number one is honestly getting to talk to Toph this much. Um, I've always looked up to tell, I'm looking at you right now saying this, so this is kind of awkward, uh, <laughs> but uh, as I give you the twisty grip, but uh, I, I've always looked up to tell um, from a person standpoint, from a hockey player standpoint, from a family members, for pretty much from any stand, you know, an intelligence standpoint, like I've always looked up to tell. Uh, I really cherished going to Chicago and getting to skate with him whenever I could. Uh, uh, playing hockey in the basement, like growing up, like Tolf was just so good at hockey and, and just such a good person and a, a leader. When I was younger, I didn't start to be a leader until probably like eighth or ninth grade up my team. So like I learned a lot from Tolf for that. And obviously we got real life stuff now. So we, you know, if we didn't have this, we wouldn't talk very much. And for me, the coolest thing about doing this is getting to talk to Tolf once a week for two hours, three hours. Um, so for me, there's no doubt that, that that is the number one thing for me. And the number two is just helping people. Um, I find it so effing cool that I am in a position where, you know, my goal is to play in the NHL for a long time and I didn't achieve that goal. Um, but another big goal of my life is to help people. And, and for me to be able to help people and have people come up to me or message me and say, Hey, this episode helps so much or love what you're doing on the podcast. It's helping me get closer to my son and whatever. It's like, for me, that's one of the biggest goals in my life is just to help people in a way that I wish somebody could have helped me. Um, so those are the two best things about the podcast for me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you on both of those things. I think, uh, one of the things that the listeners 
the listeners, everybody who's listening, whatever, uh, right now, like Jeff and I do this podcast and we do our intros and we do our, uh, you know, our talk with, with the people that we bring on, but typically we'll talk for another, what, half hour, 45 minutes after that, just about or after. Yeah. yeah, Just about whatever life and things that are going on in each other's lives. And, you know, it's funny, like it, it is, I think you and I are, are very the same in many ways, but we're also very different in many ways. And I think, you know, it's kind of cheesy to say, but I do think that we kind of bring out the best in each other. Like, like you talked about it coming back this way, but for me going back to you, like I'm somebody that can needs to take a chill pill every once in a while. Like I need, I need to not be so serious every once in a while, you know? And, uh, and like, I, I love getting the chance to talk to you because when I get the chance to talk to you, there's, we're always having fun. Like, and, and it's always like a, a, a very, much a part of my week that I look forward to because we get to connect and I think we get to kind of rub off on each other in the ways that we're similar in, in how we care and and how we want to make an impact. Um, but also in our, in our differences, because like I, I do, like I laugh and I smile a lot when I get the chance to talk to you. Um, uh, uh, like aside from the serious stuff that we talk about as well. So, um, the, the, the connecting with you is, is definitely a huge part of it. And for the people that don't know, like Jeff was the best man at my wedding and with shirts off what 10 minutes into it. Um, I was the best man at Jeff's wedding and was shirts off, um, during my best man speech, imitating Jeff being shirts off at everybody's wedding. Did you tape <laughs> flowers to your arm too? Or I did, something I did, did tape it. flowers. I taped fake flowers to my arm, uh, to imitate your tattoos. Um, uh, and then I also, um, poured water. I actually had Muncie pour water all over me just so I was, <laughs> I got the sweating part down too. Uh, so, um, Unreal. Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, it just getting the chance to do that. And, and I agree to just the impact that I feel like we've been able to make on, on the greater hockey world and the people that listen to this podcast has been just like really, really cool. And, and I know, you know, I've talked to people that are working in the NHL, people that are like assistant GMs that listen to our podcast and give me feedback and talk about things like, and then I listen, and then we get messages from like, might parents that talk about how um, our podcast has had an impact on them as well. And just like knowing that there's that diverse of an audience that listens to us and we can make an impact with so many different people. I don't know. I just think that's really, really cool. And, um, and we we're mindful of that too. We want to bring on a lot of different types of guests that, um, that can provide value to people that are listening to our podcasts and, and everything that we do, you are at the forefront of why we are doing it. And so, um, it's kind of the same answer that you had. My favorite part is, is just that, that reconnecting with you and, and then also, you know, just, it's really cool that we've been able to, to have so big of an impact, uh, on, on the hockey world. Yeah, totally. Love it. How about, you also said slash website. So is there anything with your website? Um, like what's your favorite part about doing the hockey think tank website? Because for everyone that doesn't know, like that is, it's Tof runs the website, owns, owns the hockey think tank. And then he, we're also on the podcast together, but it's all Tof with the website stuff. So as far as the website, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal resource for anyone in the game of hockey, coach, parent, whatever, uh, player, like what about the website stuff? Um, I think 
when it comes to the website, um, learning hockey and being able to put some of my knowledge that I've learned out there through like little videos and obviously do a lot of that on social media, but we have a lot of that on the website too. So I, I, I enjoy that. I love learning about the game and I love talking about the game. I love putting stuff up on my website and then getting messages from people saying, Hey, can you send me that clip so I can play it for my team? Or what did you, what else did you see here or whatever? I mean, just that kind of back and forth and being able to do that. But I think, um, uh, another piece that I really think I don't I enjoy maybe is not the right word, but uh, it's been a, a huge part of the website is just some of the deep dives that I've done on youth hockey culture um, and, and really writing in a very kind of like open, honest kind of way about some of the things that are really good about our game. And then some of the things that maybe aren't so good about our game. And so, um, just kind of putting, it's almost like a therapy, just getting all your thoughts out and, and, you know, putting it out there to, to the world sometimes can be a little nerve wracking. Um, but I really enjoy putting those blogs out there that, um, that I know are gonna, you know, kind of make a difference and make an impact for, for people that, um, that are going to read them too. Going back to that, to the person who asked about, uh, you know, the, the fear of, of losing out on this year, read Tope's article on the hockey think tank website. I think it's titled FOMO or something like it is literally fear of missing out. Yeah. I literally tell like every single parent of kids that I work with to read that at, at the junior level, kids that are about to make that jump to junior, they want to jump to junior. It's like so important. Cause that's when everyone's seeing guys around the league a year above them, a year below them, same age, tender draft yada yada yada. i was talking to a parent today in the gym about it like oh my god my kid got injured he's not going to get drafted is that going to hurt his chances and it's just like look read tope's article like those those things i think are so insanely effing important for the hockey world the youth hockey world to read so those are for the website those are my favorite when you do those in-depth uh, writings about different things going on in, in the hockey world. Uh, so if you haven't checked those out, 100% go to the hockey think tank website and read some of Tope's stuff. Cause it's, it's very impressive work. And then go to Jeff's IG. <laughs> such a geek, <laughs> but yes, also do that. <laughs> oh, I like it. Um, you know what we need to do at some point is we need to release. So on, on Daryl's uh, podcast that we did. So for the first time we did like a, I wouldn't really call it an ad read, but it was kind of an ad inter read. episode. Uh, yeah. Like and in the middle of the episode where we kind of stop it and we did a contest to send somebody a book and you and I went through like four different iterations of that just for fun. And we got to release those at some point because they were hilarious. I ended up going with the Ron Burgundy one. <laughs> Psst. <laughs> yeah hey somebody out there let us know if you think that's funny because Tof and i we have you know it's kind of weird when you're doing a podcast because you don't like you know when Tof's giving speeches or i go to teams and i give speeches like i i read off of the crowd i can see people's faces or if i'm giving a speech over zoom to a team I can see the people's faces so I can, if they laugh, I'll keep going with the topic. If they're, I can tell they're very interested or they're nodding their head. I'll keep going with that topic. When Tope and I are doing this podcast, it's him and I staring into each other's eyes <laughs> via a computer. So like, 
we might be laughing, but I'm thinking, is anyone else finding this funny? Like, I don't know. So like, sometimes I'll make a joke and now I'm to the point where I don't care. I just laugh. I like to make myself laugh. And I just try and make, I laugh at laugh. a lot too. I'm a I try and make Tope laugh as yeah. much as I possibly can. But then like, you know, we're kind of doing this like thing with the Belfry for anybody listening to that, where we did that thing in the middle for the book giveaway. And it's something we've never done before. So like, you know, I'm just being an idiot trying to make Toph laugh. And then I'm like, is anyone, is everyone going to hate me? Do they think that this is stupid? So let us know if you thought that was funny. Shoot us a DM or tweet or something because yeah. we thought it was funny, but if you all think it's stupid, then we don't want to do that. We don't want to make you not like us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. Um, okay. So let's do one, do one more question. Yeah. Let's do the, um, the sports psych one that you had somebody sent to you on your, uh, your IG. Yeah, this one is from Sabimic Danny on Instagram. Can we do a podcast on youth, squirt bantams, or sports psych for youth? I think that's a phenomenal question. I think it's a and and we certainly can. And we've had um Would that sports be Wendy psych- Glover. Is that kind of along the lines of what she does? Uh, a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bit. Wendy Glover does some amazing things um with that was a good uh, episode. Yeah. Yeah. She does some amazing things up in, uh, in Ontario, uh, with kids. Um, Adam Naylor is one, he's a sports psychologist that we brought on. He's from the Boston area, works with a lot of hockey players out that way. Um, that was a really good sports psych one. Even, even the guys like Ricky Mendez that we brought on who aren't necessarily psychologists and Matt Calderoni, but they're, you know, Matt's a a resilience coach and and Ricky's kind of like a life coach and in some, I don't know what his actual, um, uh, title would be, but I, I think that the sports psych stuff, um, I, I think that's important to do at the younger ages. And, and when I sp- say sports psychology, I don't necessarily mean like laying down on a couch, you know, and doing <laughs> the roars back or whatever they're called test roars scratch, or I can't, I don't know what they're called. Rorschach, uh, isn't it? Rorschach, no? love shack, baby. I don't know. <laughs> um, doing that kind of stuff, but like sports psych in a way is like goal setting, teaching kids how to set goals at young ages and then putting plans in place where they're, you know, doing those goals on a consistent basis, talking to kids about resiliency and adversity and giving them strategies on how to maybe get through the tougher times or also when things are good to, to give them a little bit of a routine. So they, they get back and they don't get complacent. Um, I, I, in my opinion, I think the biggest, um, issue that we are going to face in the next, let's call it 20 to 30 years is going to be child, uh, child mental health. I, I really do. I think it's going to be the biggest issue that we are going to face as a society with the screen time, with social media, with how professional things are getting and not just in hockey, but just in everything and, and all the pressure that kids are under, um, in, in, in so many things that they do, I think the more that we can talk about it, the more that we can provide them with strategies, the more we can utilize people who are sports psychologists or life coaches or whatever to, to help our kids get through. Like I, (laughs) I thank God I'm not a teenager today. Like, like, honestly, like I am so thankful that I missed the social media revolution because I would have been a wreck. I would have been a disaster. 
Um, because myself, like many other people, like it's difficult not to care about what people think about you. And that's all social media is. That's literally all it is. You can like stuff that I do, or you can comment on it, or you can troll, um, from a, uh, from a a nameless account, you know? So I, I think that our, our children's mental health is something that this might be, a little bit like dramatic to say, but it's kind of under attack. Like it's, it's, it's under attack from the way that the world is going with social media and screen time. And, and all, like our kids are as depressed as ever. <laughs> our kids are as anxious as ever. You can look at any study or talk to any child psychologist and they will tell you the exact same thing and they will tell you why. Um, so I think that the, the sports psych and, and the, the wellness I think that's even a better way of putting it, but the wellness is something that we're really going to have to focus on with our kids as they, as they get older. I literally could not agree more. Like, man, it's wild. It's wild out there. And, and, uh, you know, go watch, go watch the social dilemma. Like if you haven't watched the social dilemma Mm. on Netflix or I, I just listened to a podcast. One of my favorite podcasters is Dak Shepard and uh, he's a phenomenal podcaster. And he had on the guy who worked at Google, who kind of was like the, the ethical guy that stood up and was like, what we are doing is wrong and we need to change things because we are shaping the world in this way that is going to make a lot of people very depressed and anxious. And uh, it was just a really, really interesting conversation. So like, go watch The Social Dilemma um, if you haven't listened to that podcast with Dax Shepard. Was that a recent one? I haven't, yeah. I haven't heard. Yeah, yeah okay. it was a recent one and maybe in the last month or so. But you okay. listen to it and you're like, oh my goodness, like tough times right now. <laughs> I, th- I think too, just uh, having a conversation with your kids about social media and what it is and not telling anyone how to live their life, but how to use it to your advantage like try and only use it to like learn, to try and get better. Like, obviously maybe it's like 90% use it as a tool, 10% like fun. Cause if you're using it just to like scroll mindlessly, which I used to do when I first got, I didn't have Instagram when I played for this reason, I didn't want it. I didn't want to be on there. Um, I wanted to focus on the things I wanted to focus on. And now I see it as part of my job to try and help educate people with what I do and show them what I do. And I can help more people is how I think of it of using it. Um, but, uh, you know, when I first got it, I get stuck on there. And then like you start comparing yourself to everyone else who's doing the same kind of things you are. And like that, you know, what's that old saying? Like, uh, uh, comparison is the thief of joy, you know, and you see a lot of kids that are like always comparing themselves to others on there. And, um, not just kids either. It's not just kids. I think it's, I think it's huge for parents too. Parents are, you know, comparing their kids uh, yeah, <laughs> to, to other yeah. kids and then it makes And, and there's so much <laughs> fake stuff on there and there's so much hate and it's like, teach your kids to use it for good. Teach them to use it to spread positivity, to spread love, things like that. And I think maybe we can change the tide of what it is. I, I, I really hope. Um, but to get back to that question, Sabina, I think that if you haven't heard the Adam Naylor, Wendy Glover, especially Matt Calderoni, Ricky Mendez episodes that we've done. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. Go back and listen to those and listen to them with your young player um, because they'd be great episodes to listen to them with them, especially the Matt Calderoni and Ricky Mendez and Naylor one. Um, they're very important and it's pretty much all along those lines. And 
yeah, that stuff's it's it's very very important for hockey and for life to learn how to deal with the tough times. I mean, I know Toph and I were both very hard on ourselves when we were players. You know, it, I for me, I know for sure if I messed up in a game and it, I wound up like cause uh, making a turnover that turned into a goal or a mistake of mine turned into a goal, I took a bad penalty, we lose a game. I couldn't sleep that night. I was so upset with myself that I let the team down, that we didn't win because of something I did. And, you know, like you, you need to, kids need to learn how to deal with that stuff because you're not going to have your best day every day. You're going to mess up. And learning how to deal with failures, learning how to deal with mistakes is extremely important in development, in hockey, and even more so in life. And growing up, no one ever talked to us about that stuff. So you either dealt with it in probably a positive way or you dealt with it in a negative way. And I was not good at dealing with it until I got older and I started talking to sports psychologists and doing research on my own and reading how to get better from mistakes. So uh, uh, talking to a sports psychologist, listening to those episodes, it will definitely help. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And you, you do, you hear... Um, I mean, we had Cole Barger on the podcast not too long ago, and he said in his professional career, it kind of changed when he started talking to a sports psychologist. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm a big advocate of forget sports psychology. I'm a big advocate of therapy in general. I think everybody should do it. I think having yeah. the ability or the opportunity to speak to somebody that has, you know, no vested interest in you other than to just kind of listen and, and help you with your stuff. And they also happen to have a doctorate <laughs> in it is, is a good thing too. Um, but uh, you know, you hear a lot of people who end up going to therapy that just, they, they're changed people for the better after doing it. And sometimes it's just a vent. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's good to vent. And then maybe you don't even need to go to a therapist. Maybe you just have a really good group of friends who you know are not going to judge you for your thoughts or are not going to judge you for certain things that you're going to say. And they're going to support you when you need to be supported. And they're going to challenge you when you need to be challenged. Um, so maybe it doesn't even need to be a therapist. Maybe it's just a great group of people in your support system. But I think having having the social safety net to be able to express yourself in a way that um, you know you're not going to get judged and, and you can talk about your, your feelings, especially for men. I think, you know, growing up, that's not something that we were, <laughs> we were taught to do. We were, it was just like, get through it, grate your teeth and you're a man and be a man. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think a lot of people that are our age or a little bit older went through some really tough stuff because we we reacted that way. And that's what we thought was mentally tough. But at the end of the day, it, it, I think it's, it's much more strong to um, seek out help if you need it. Um, than uh, than just kind of holding it all in because that is not healthy. <laughs> I know from experience <laughs> as <laughs> a holder in her. <laughs> yes. So um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great question. I think, you know, always looking out for the kids, mental health and, and their well being is something that has to be at the forefront of everything that we do as hockey directors, as coaches, as parents, as kids that are listening to this with your teammates um, and, and stuff like that, like in the locker room, making sure there's no bullying and making sure that everybody feels like they're a part of the team i mean just that that sense of belonging um and that sense of like self-worth where you feel like you're you're good enough i think that's um that's everything for for kids growing up there's this a lot of things along, working against it yeah and this goes along those lines so if i got a question for you like how important do you think it is for kids to learn to build their or i guess to separate their self-worth from being a hockey player because like I look back and I mean, I played hockey from two to 32 when I retired and like, 
when I was younger, I was Jeff Lavecchio, the hockey player. And until probably like I, de- I decided to go play in Europe, um, knowing, you know, kind of the NHL goal for me was, was going to be dead. Uh, I was still Jeff Lavecchio, the hockey player, like my emotions, my feelings, the way I, the way I felt about myself really reflected on how I was playing. And it shouldn't be that way. You should be able to be happy outside the rink if you had a bad game. But for so many elite athletes and young hockey players that are, you know, I'll call them elite AAA players, I feel like they're the exact same way. I see it on the kids' faces. Um, And I don't think that that's healthy. Like, obviously, you have to be invested. You have to care. But there's also got to be a point where you can disassociate the two and still be productive, still be happy, still feel good about yourself if things aren't going well on the rink. So um, I don't know if that's something, maybe we should have like some kind of person on to talk about that because I feel like that. Well, we did. Cool. Matt Calderoni talked about that on, on our podcast a while back and we've mentioned him already. He's a resilience coach. He works with the Chicago steel. He works with professional athletes, works with NHL players. And he talks about the alter ego. Like that's one of his big things is yep. like having this one person that's that competitive, you know, SOB or whatever your identity is on the ice, on the court, on the field, whatever. And then you're also something, I think having kids for me has really put a new spin on that because I'm very much somebody that sees my identity as my work. It was a hockey player. Now it's a hockey coach. And that's how you provide your self-worth when you get the recruit or you win a game or whatever, your self-worth is really good. And when you don't, it sinks to whatever, but you know, like I'm also like, I see myself as a dad and that's helped me in certain aspects because now I'm not so tied up in seeing myself as a, a hockey coach or a hockey director. I'm also a dad. And then what we fail to recognize sometimes too is like, I'm also a brother. I'm also a son. (laughs) I'm also a husband. Like there's, there's so many things that we like forget about from a life standpoint. And, and I do, I think it's really, really important. And one of the people that we've had on the podcast before Duncan Fletcher, um, he works and does some stuff with the NHL PA. And he said that players play better when they have other interests too. Like, I don't know if you remember that episode, but like, yeah, like when they have something other than hockey that they can do and they can think about, and it can be a little bit more of their identity. So it's not just so wrapped up in hockey. They actually play better at hockey. And these are for like NHL players that they've studied. So think about that and how to the like a hundredth degree that would be for youth hockey players and, and players that are much younger than that too. Right. Yeah. And this is like, it's a parallel, but I look back on my, my pro career and my second year in Europe, I was playing in Norway and that's when uh, my, my ex-wife, my wife at the time and I, we got a dog there and I would come home, bad game, good game, bad practice, good practice. It didn't matter. I'd open the door and Josie's little three and a half pound body. I had a little (laughs) miniature Yorkshire Terrier. Everyone thinks I'd have like a a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd. And I had a three and a half pound little baby Yorkshire Terrier. She'd just be wagging her little butt so excited to see me. And I would immediately, it didn't matter if I was stressed from losing, from stuff going on at the rink, whatever. I would just be so happy to see her and the rest of my day was really good. And that started to get me to think along those lines. Like I should learn to disassociate what's going on at the rink and still be able to be happy in the rest of my life. If things are going bad, you know what I mean? And so I think that that is super important for kids to learn that skill. So 
um, give those episodes a listen that Tove just said. And, you know, maybe it's some more people like that we could have on in the future. If people think that'd be a good idea, maybe let us know or something. Yeah. We just went down the rabbit hole, eh? We did, but I love it. I love going on the rabbit hole. That's, that's how my brain works. Uh, I like it, man. Well, we've we've been doing this for quite some time now. Um, I think maybe we should ep- um, end the episode doing our drill share. What do you think? IceHockeySystems.com? Carl, let's do it. Okay, so as we do every episode, uh, we uh, have collaborated with IceHockeySystems.com, who is now a sponsor on the podcast, and we talk about a drill on one of our websites that we really, really enjoy and we really like. And so the one that we're going to talk about here today, um, I call the two versus three cross drop drill. And so Brandon Narado, who we've also had on the podcast, one of the smartest hockey guys that we know, he... uh, years ago talked to me about the importance of inverted rushes and what i mean by inverted rushes is one versus two or two versus three or three versus four when the offensive team is at a disadvantage and they have to find a way to problem solve to make offensive plays when they're at a disadvantage so this drill here is one of those inverted rush drills where um i do it as a two on three um and how it works is you have two players that are offensive players at, uh, at the blue lines. And then you have three players who are the defensive players who are at the other blue line. And on the whistle, the two players that are the offensive players, they have one puck, they cross and they drop the puck and then they go and they attack the three defensive players who have now tried to gap up. And what I like to teach is the guy in the middle is the angler. So he's the person angling whoever has the puck, trying to keep him out of the middle of the ice, stick down, trying to make a nice defensive play. The other, the other two defenders are just kind of reading off what happens and they're trying to um, cause a stop and, and uh, not let the other team or not let the offensive guys get into the zone. So offensively, you have to problem solve. So the guy without the puck, he has to try and support the guy with the puck, try to get open, try to get to a spot where he can get him the puck, whether it's a chip, whether it's a direct pass, whether it's a cross corner kind of um, placing the puck in, in, in the corner, um, something like that. The guy with the puck's got to make a, a good decision with the puck as well. And then it's just a, it's a really good problem solving, um, really good problem solving drill. Um, and the inverted rushes, again, from an offensive standpoint, it, uh, it really makes you kind of have to think, how are we going to get this puck inside the zone? Uh, we are at a disadvantage here, so it's a little bit tougher. I love that, but I will call you out on something. Ooh. You said read. Daryl Belfry would not be happy. Like you to <laughs> Manipulate. There you go. Manipulate. <laughs> influence. We're not reading. We're influencing. We're going to make him do what we want. Exactly. And, and that's one of the things, too. The, the player with the puck. Again, you are having somebody that's trying to angle you from the middle of the ice out. Well, Hockey is a game, a little bit of geometry. If you have the puck and you just go down the wall, it's going to be easier for that player to angle you defensively into the wall to cause a turnover. But if you get it and you skate right at that player and you do not let them get the angle on you and you, you mess them up with that, um, you're manipulating the play. You're putting it yourself at an advantage rather than a disadvantage. So there's different ways you can manipulate the ice, um, different ways you can support the puck as well in doing that. And uh, yeah, it's a good, good point. Good point. I like it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
<laughs> did you do much inverted drills, inverted rush drills or anything like that when you were uh, coming up? I, did, I, was, I literally did none. I did not. Not when I was playing, but when we were coaching, we did because yeah. we talked about them on the podcast and my head coach, Mike Barra is always trying to find, you know, he's like us always trying to find a way to help the guys be better. And he listened to that podcast with, with NAR that we talked about that on. And we started doing them. We did so much stuff that we talk about on the podcast in the practices from the people we'd have on him and I yeah. would talk about, Oh, did you hear this guest talked about that? We'd bring him into practice and the, the teams that we coached the last two years were really good. So that was pretty cool to put all that, uh, apply it. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And so what we like to do, uh, is we'll put a little video on our social media, um, that goes along with this drill. Some people are visual learners. Some people will be able to hear this and kind of get it and, and be able to do it in their practices. Um, so usually we do it on Thursdays. We'll put the drill out in video format with us talking about it, um, on, on our social media feed. So, um, be on the lookout for that. But again, thank you to the, to the guys at icehockeysystems.com for helping us build our drill club uh page on on my website the hockey think tank.com and uh i would encourage you to go to their website too because they have a million drills on their website a bunch of different breakdowns and all that kind of stuff so uh head on over there uh so they're obviously one of our sponsors on the podcast another sponsor our title sponsor is gel sticks g-e-l-s-t-x.com what an amazing holiday gift this would be for anybody to to get their kid a gel sticks stick gel what do you how do you even say it a gel stick gel probably sticks. just get them a gel sticks i don't, I don't <laughs> know yeah because that sounds like plural but it's not it's with an x why don't you just get it plural get them gel sticks <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what i've been doing in the gym this week with all these college guys home and and junior guys and pro guys who aren't able to play yet in between in between sets in the gym i'll have them one time if they're left-handed stick handle left-handed with the gel stick then after the next set they'll stick handle with a right-handed gel stick oh nice when i think back to to playing like you know anyone who saw me play they could hear me stick handling from the top top row of the the (laughs) highest bowl in whatever arena i was in i was fast but my hands sounded like i was you know chopping ice on a on a metal block or something and so if you stick handle with your not with your offside it teaches you to roll your wrists if you really focus on that and then when you go back to whatever hand you normally are you feel that wrist roll much easier so just an idea if anybody's looking you know you got kids who both use gel sticks maybe have them switch every now and then and stick handle not non-dominant and see how they feel i like that I like that. Well, thank you to gel sticks. They've been with us every step of the way, ever since we've started doing sponsorships, they've been uh, our title sponsors. So thank you to those guys. Go to gel sticks, G E L S T X.com for your weighted training sticks. Use the coupon code think tank one word. Um, Jeff, that's T H I N K T A N K think tank one word. (laughs) To her. Oh yeah. It's a big one. Sound it out. Um, so yeah, head on over there. Thank you to train heroic Jeff's training app. He talked about it, uh, already, uh, earlier on the podcast as he trains a couple junior teams and he trains a lot of individuals, uh, all around the U S and Canada. You got any people from Europe on there too? Bro. Let me get you over in Europe. Bro, so yeah, he actually had, were in Europe forever. So yeah, I had, sure I had pros from, I think it was 12 countries training on my training app this summer. Pros. Okay. Not even go. just non-pros and then i had tons of hey jeff were they pros they were p-r-o-s tofe okay (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't sure because i didn't really say that so i just want to make sure just let you know (laughs) 
Um, so download the train heroic app and, uh, look for Jeff's workouts on there. Uh, just so easy, clean, easy to use. And, uh, obviously great content, great workouts, um, on there as well. And, uh, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who continues to support our podcast. This was a fun one today. We got a little deep on some stuff, which was, uh, which was fun. And, uh, again, as we talked about earlier, this is the best part of our week, being able to do this and, and share a little bit of ourselves with you and, and share some awesome some guests that we're able to bring on as well. So we so appreciate your support. Uh, if you can help us by sharing us and, and leaving us re, uh, ratings and reviews, wherever you're getting your podcast today. And uh, uh, we just love spending this hour to two hours with you guys every week. So we appreciate you and we will see you next week. Well, we won't see them. They'll listen to us because this is a podcast. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean. <laughs> All right, take care, everybody.